Hello and welcome back to Execute. And as I'm recording this, we're actually at the six month point for this membership, which is really exciting. I know some of you have been in here from the very beginning and some of you have joined more recently, but I'm super excited to continue serving you in this way. And six months is also a great point for me to take stock and reflect and think what's working, what is coming back from you in terms of questions, how can I serve you best? And so I'm just going to give you a few thoughts on that, but I would love it to be a dialogue. So what I'm putting to you, hit reply when you get an email from us and let me know how you're feeling about things, what works for you, what you need, how you'd like to be supported, because that's how we'll make this really great and make sure that you've got the support that you you need. So. We've got a really full load of questions this month, which is awesome. Um, and I'm really excited to see the way you guys are thinking and moving things forward in your businesses. My intention with this membership is not to create epic, lengthy podcasts. And I know that if I drop a three-hour episode on you, that's going to feel super heavy and like another massive thing on your to-do list. So I really want to keep episodes to around 45 to 50 minutes max. And I will answer as many questions as I can, as well as I can in that time, which feels to me like a good time for you to get answers, get some perspective and keep moving. But you tell me, let us know, let me know what you need. If you ask more than one question, it may be that any other questions roll over to the next episode. And if we've got time, we'll answer it then. But this is a really good opportunity if I to just remind you, submit powerful questions. If you submit something long and waffly with no clear question in it, then I'm having to guess at what you're asking, which means that you're not going to get a clear answer. So I've said it before, practice answering powerful questions and you will get a clear, straightforward and powerful response back. And it's also just a real opportunity for you to refine and think what is feeling most important. If I was going to ask one question, if Katie could only answer one thing for me, what would that be? Where I see overlap between questions and see themes emerging, I may group questions together because that will allow me to go deeper with the answer in the time that we have. But if every month you find that you have lots of questions coming up, then I really want you to be honest with yourself and reflect and think, is execute the right place for you? Is it the support you need and desire right now? This is an intentionally light touch membership with a once a month Q&A. So if you're desiring quick answers and a higher level of support and proximity, then I offer one-to-one boxer coaching. So voicemail text message, back and forth coaching. And this may be the best place for where you're at right now and getting that that higher level of support. All of your questions are answered and keeping you in motion as you're moving. So if you're feeling called to this, then send me a DM on Instagram and we can chat about it. And then just before we jump in, I want to share with you guys that next month, October, I am going to be launching a brand new program all about pricing and money. And I'm telling you this here, you guys are the very, very first to hear anything about it other than me (laughs) telling people something's coming. Um, And I want to share it with you here because I value you guys and serving you. And also I understand a great deal about your businesses and the challenges you're coming up against. And it's really helped to inform what this program is going to become. So I'm going to jump in and answer a few questions around pricing, but I will weave some of the themes that are going to come up in this program into my answer because this really is the next level in money work, pricing work, charging, as with everything I do, that combination between the strategy and the mindset. The work that I'm bringing forward now is very much about you going to that next level in terms of the prices you're charging 
and the mindset and the inner work and the energetic work that is coming up and that has potentially been holding you back from that, from actually achieving what you'd really love to. So it's going to be a really deep dive into that, a very deep combination of practical work around the flow of money coming in and out of your business and getting a really good handle on your numbers, making sure that you are setting money aside for all the things you want to invest in in the business. And at the same time, doing that inner work and that mindset work that is really allowing you to price profitably and shoot for the stars, really go not just to a place that feels comfortable and feels safe, but go beyond that really start feeling way more at ease about the money coming into your business and the way in which you're charging is really going to support the business and support you and your life. Okay, let me go to, we've got a couple of questions here all around pricing. So the first one is is actually on the theme that I've talked about here. So I've got somebody drawing up contracts I'm going to change my website over. I've got a bookkeeper helping me with some training on zero. There is money in the business that I can draw on for all of these things. But is there a good way to look at and budget for these expenses, especially the one-off ones? Great question, because it is so important that we are pricing in a way that isn't just about covering our costs and keeping us afloat and meaning that we can just about pay ourselves every month. We want to be accumulating money in a way that means we can invest back into the business. And these are exactly the kind of things that, you know, the things you've identified, absolutely that's the right thing to be doing. SEO work, you know, getting the finances sorted out, getting really good TNCs and contracts in place. This is all really fantastic investments that you will see a return on, whether that is financial return or whether that is ease and peace of mind in running the business, there is a return. So I'm going to go in the program that I'm launching next month. We are going to go deeper into all of this, into how you manage the money coming into your business and really start to allocate money that is clearly profit that you can then use for these things, for investment back into the business. And you can do it with the certainty that the money is there. It's not a gamble. It's not a, oh, I don't know if I've actually got the money. Can I afford this? You've got a really good insight into the money and know what you can actually afford to invest back into. So we're going to do a lot of work, practical work in the program. But what I would definitely recommend to you as a foundation is to read Profit First. I've mentioned this book before to you guys, but a book called Profit First by Mike Michalowicz is a fantastic resource for just starting to think about how you deal with all of the income that comes into your business and get really intentional about putting money aside for profit that can then be reinvested back in. So start by reading that because that's going to give you a fantastic foundation or listen as an audiobook. And then I'm really excited to share more with you about this new program. Okay, next money question we've got. So <laughs> this one made me laugh. Is agreeing to break them down? This is talking about fees. If a client asks you to break down your fee, is it a slippery slope? I'm trying to go with the value-based fees, um, but I'm still in transition on this and I'm wondering whether I can omit something from the service and um, is it going to open up a conversation on time-based scrutiny? So essentially what's coming through is a uncertainty and still finding your way with value-based pricing, which is totally cool. It is new. It's a new way of doing things. So a couple of things. The first is that value-based pricing works beautifully where we're really powerfully positioning our expertise from the jump. So before we've even got on a conversation, got on a call with a potential client, they are so clear 
that we have absolutely got the expertise, the experience, the skill, the knowledge that can solve their problem. By the time they're on a call with us, this isn't, can you do this? Do you have the skills? It's simply, do we vibe? Do the timescales work? Do we like each other? Great, let's go. So powerful positioning is really part of this. And as part of that sales process is whatever you're putting out in your marketing, those initial conversations, we really want to be nurturing and building that trust so that your clients are not asking, well, can I see a breakdown? (laughs) Nobody, nobody has ever, ever come to me and said, could you break down the fees for Align for Growth? Could you tell me in more detail what that covers? No, the price is the price. The price is the program. Here's what it includes. This is what you get. Do you want it or don't you? And it's the same with pricing your work. We're not breaking down by time. And if you want to explain that in your marketing or very early information that you give to clients, why you don't price by time, that's fine. You can say to clients, pricing by time doesn't work for you just as it doesn't work for me. You know, I want you to have certainty about how much you're spending. And I want to have certainty about the money that's coming into my business so that I can plan and make sure that I'm serving you really well and not having to worry about taking on more work. Equally, I'm not having to worry about administering all of that time, which adds cost onto you, the client. So you can be clear and open and transparent with people about that's why the fees are that way. But ultimately, by the time you get to a fee proposal, there shouldn't be any questions about, can you break this down for me? The breakdown is in, this is the work I will do for that price. But if we've been so clear from the jump about our minimum level of engagement, this is the way we price our services. It is a bespoke fee for your project. It will be a minimum of X based on similar work that I've done to this. I think it will probably be in the region of between X and Y but let me go away and provide a fee proposal. Just so you know, it's going to come back. It's going to be a fixed fee for every stage of the work that gives you certainty and both of us clarity around what is included in that work and what you will be spending as we go through, period. So we want to be clear that we're not running out of time, but I also, you know, obviously there is a a method that you guys know that runs below this, which is your pricing is based on your capacity, how many projects you're taking on, that informs the minimum level of engagement. But we don't want to be getting into conversations like this with our clients, because really this is indicative of there not quite being the trust in place. So I would really encourage you to focus more on establishing your expertise, building that trust, And really pre-qualifying clients that if you have people who are so nervy and so mistrustful of spending anything, they may not be the right clients. But we want to have people who are just as empowered about spending money as we are empowered about asking for that money. And we do not want to get into breaking down our fees and explaining and defending our costs. When we've done the work to position ourselves and position the service, and when we understand strategically how it has to be priced to be profitable, the price is the price. And we also really want to avoid getting into any kind of scarcity around, oh, well, if I don't bend to what they want, and if I don't break it down for them, then they might go away or they might be unhappy and what this might mean where there is one, there is a hundred. We have to believe that. Even if we cannot see the next opportunity, we have to believe that there are plenty of clients out there. And it is our job to show up powerfully, powerfully positioned, empowered about our pricing. The price is the price. And then it's a decision for them. Can they make it work or not? Which brings me on to the next question, which is you've had a proposal rejected due to price, even though I provided an indication of pricing before they booked the call. Nice work. So the client said another designer offered a significantly lower price and they would have chosen to work with me if the difference wasn't so significant. So how to deal with that. So 
I'd say a couple of things on this. One is that we have to, we have to trust that our clients are going to know what they need and what they can reasonably afford. And we cannot make their, no, we've not, we're not going to go with you, mean anything about us other than they have chosen a decision that works better for them and their financial situation. Whether it works better for them in the long run because they've gone on price rather than on value, quality, the person they wanted to work with, time will tell. And we can't waste energy on that. But we do not want to be positioning ourselves as a decision where it's based on price. And we have to trust that people will make a decision that is best for them and their finances. Again, this comes back to positioning. If we are seen as the best choice by a long way, the best value, the most accomplished, the the most expert, the obvious choice for our client because of what they want and our skills and how those things fit together, then our client should not be making a decision on price. It is amazing how people will find the money for the thing that they desire, even though it's more expensive. You think you will do it all the time. You will buy things that are more expensive than comparative choices all the time. This is how economies work. So our job is not to compete on price because that's not the nature of the service that we're offering, but it's to position ourselves so powerfully knowing that we will lose projects on price sometimes that is if we are pricing profitably and at a level in which we will feel really great about the money we're earning for that project we can expect to lose work sometimes and if we're not then we're probably not pricing enough so stay in your power think where you're giving power away in this situation to a client to a competitor to not feeling certain about anything just think how can I take back my power in this situation and what I would be doing is go back to your numbers know your numbers really when you've done the work to understand the level at which you need to be pricing and the program that I'm bringing out will really support all of you in this at a much, much deeper level. We're going to go so much deeper into understanding the money that's flowing in and out of your business and how you can really do the work to have so much confidence around your charging. You see how it all comes together, how it all stacks up. Because when we really know that, it doesn't become, oh, I've, maybe I should have charged less because you can see there in front of you why if you charge less, it puts pressure on the whole business. It means you're having to take on more clients or you're having to work so much harder or you're having to make it up. So in this situation, I would really be two, two things. The strategic is just go back to your numbers reassure yourself that the price was right and the fact that this client said no thanks means nothing about you and your price and everything about them and the decision that they made and the kind of mindset part is we just want to to bless and release and what I mean by that is anybody who comes across our our business makes an inquiry comes to us but then doesn't become a client we bless and release. We say, you know, it's been great getting to know a bit more about you. Who knows what will happen in the future, but then we release it. We just let it go. We are business owners. Selling is always going to be a huge part of what we do. And there will always be people who buy and people who don't buy. Our job is to own our expertise confidently communicate our value, position ourselves so that we're visible to the right people and then continue to communicate and set expectations with regards to pricing. That is it. Okay. Let me go to another question. So I've got a question here, which is around working relationships. And the question is, any tips 
on working with an established, well-known architect on a project where they were hired to do the interiors part as part of their scope originally, but then the client went ahead and hired us. Nice work. <laughs> um, a couple of months later, um, now we're here on site. There are tensions when I point out issues or query items on site. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I don't want to upset them. They are the lead, but their passive aggressive attitude towards the interior designer as me is making my job harder than usual. Oh, well, nice work on um, getting the interiors part. And we all know, every single person listening to this knows that having an interior designer working alongside an architect will make the project infinitely better. The detail will be so much better. The finish will be so much more considered and thoughtful we can hand on heart say, without me knowing anything about this project or this client or this architect, I can hand on heart say that it will be the best result for the project and for the client is having your involvement. What's going on here is an architect with a bruised ego and slightly less money than they originally thought they might have. And so there's a few things I would say on this. This is really about communication and handling a difficult relationship. So the first thing I would say is pick your battles, you know, do not waste your time in the inconsequential. So remind yourself, this has nothing to do with me. Their disappointment, their ego has nothing to do with me. So if you think that you can actually just do your job and distance yourself to protect your peace, that is one option that you simply show up, do what you need to do and keep yourself fairly detached from the situation. But the second, particularly if they are, you know, being tricky on site and being passive aggressive is maybe to be a bit more confronting of that. This comes to a large part to do with the confidence in the way that you're showing up. So, and a lot we can do around this is simple physical positioning and the language that we're using. So if we're tiptoeing around and not speaking up and apologizing for everything when there's nothing to apologize for, all of that is very soft and very apologetic. And it is not the vibe of somebody who is super confident and owning their power. So even if if you are not feeling confident, we want to project confidence because that's just going to make them, you know, I'm sure a lot of you have heard me say before, strength responds to strength. If there's somebody who's being aggressive and strong and we just back down and take it, then that strength will often keep coming. If we rise, and this does not mean shouting at somebody and getting into a fight, but if we just rise in our power and meet them with strength, that will often have a much better outcome. So, for example, instead of using language like, you know, I just think that maybe this isn't very right, or I just feel that this could be a bit, we want to be using predictive language. So if we use language like, I predict that this isn't going to get us the, the outcome that we want, or I envisage that this finish isn't going to work in this place. I anticipate this isn't going to work out how we want it to. There are lots of different words you can use, but it's stronger and it assumes that you've already thought about the answer and there's no room for, well, you think that, but we don't think that. It's just a stronger way of stating your, your view and projecting that confidence. If they are dominating or monopolizing the conversation, then you can interrupt them. And normally we'd say, you know, interrupting, we've, we've all been brought up, do not interrupt, it's rude to talk over somebody, but sometimes this is called for and you can just use their name and interject. For example, if they're talking on and pointing out something that you've done is not good or why this isn't right or something, you can interrupt. I'm going to call them David. David, I understand that you don't agree with this finish. For example, what we're here to do is elevate, enhance, whatever. You can use your own language, but you just use their name and you just 
interrupt that monologue of monopolizing the conversation. This is what we're here to do. And you bring it back to best result for the project, best result for the client. If you're in a, a meeting or you're on site and any opportunity you have to, to speak up, take it. Don't ask yourself, oh, am I smart enough? Do I have something to say? They're the lead on the project. I've been brought in. If someone dominant is pushing you, we don't want to back down. We want to really lean in and trust our expertise. The reason that we are here is because the client has seen in what we do that they're going to get a better result. You are there for a reason and you're there on merit. So you can just say something like, the reason that we've recommended this is because our experience tell us that clients value solutions that blah, 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 give them whatever. So you don't waffle. You just lead with your first point and you anchor it back to, we are experienced. We have got years of expertise. This is what it tells us. This is why we've done it. Okay. We just want to be super, super confident. And if they're actually rude, if they're, they're actually rude, then you can take that as an opportunity to just say, did you mean for that to be insulting? So this gives them a chance to clarify or apologize. You could also say something like, I would prefer if you didn't speak to me this way. So what you're saying is you have a preference on how you're communicated with and you're not afraid to assert it. I would prefer if you didn't speak to me this way. And if they're being super passive aggressive, then you could say something like, you know, have I done something to offend you? So you can judge which one of them would feel right. I get that all of them feels like you might need to take a deep breath if you were going to move on any of them. The other choice you've got is simply say nothing. <laughs> the, the ultimate power move is just let their insecurity and their nitpicking and their finding fault in everything, just let it fall and just say nothing. So you know the personalities, you can judge the situation, but what I really want you to just be thinking about is the ways in which you can assert yourself, assert your expertise, own the space, own your role in the project and rise so that you are meeting their strength with your own strength. And just remember you are there on merit and the result for the project is going to be better ultimately. Okay, let me go to another question about relationships. And the question is, how do I stop over-servicing my clients? <laughs> I know this makes a nonsense of defining the scope and profitable pricing, yet it is crazy how interior designers are often people pleasers. And because we love what we do, it's so easy to fall into this. We're doing things outside of scope, either because we see the bigger picture or we are aiming for perfection. So, and the question is, the question is what strategies can I employ to stop doing this and avoid it in the future, either with demanding clients or repeat offenders. So there's a couple of things I would say in response to this. The reason I'm gonna talk about perfectionism first is because you mention it in your question. We're aiming for perfection. And this is something that so many of us grapple with, have grappled with, are still working through. I am talking to you as somebody who absolutely has tried to navigate walking that line between when are things being overdone, when is it aiming for perfection, which doesn't exist, or when is it simply doing an exceptional job, okay? And for me, I think it's this idea that aiming for perfection, that perfection could be possible. The idea where perfectionism comes from, it's, this, it's a very addictive belief system. And it fuels this primary thought, this, this belief that is often handed to us very, very early in life from parents or carers or friends or grandparents, whatever. 
And it's this, if I look perfect, if I live perfectly, if I work perfectly, if I do everything perfectly, if I achieve perfect results, if I'm the perfect daughter, the perfect granddaughter, the perfect friend, the perfect, then I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. So somewhere in our very early, not to seven years, there has been some some kind of event. Usually there's a, there's a first event, a first trigger, where we've felt the shame and the discomfort of being judged and not being good enough. And after that first event, anything that then that happens that builds on that feeling, it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And where we end up as grown-ups is striving for perfection because we think we can avoid feeling those really uncomfortable feelings. At its core, perfectionism, it's about trying to earn approval and acceptance. Most perfectionists were raised being praised for their achievement, for their performance, for their good grades, their good manners, their nice ways, doing the right thing, being the good girl, really pleasing people. And somewhere along the way in doing this, we adopt this belief system that I am what I accomplish and I am how well I do something. And the difference between the two, when I say there's this line to be walked between doing things excellently because that's what you want to do and you love and you care about your clients and you want the result to be great, the difference between that and the difference between perfectionism is that healthy striving is self-focused or it's focused on the greater good. So how can I improve what I'm doing? How can I improve the way that I'm serving my clients? How can I improve the way that my business is delivering? Perfectionism is focused on them, whether it's your clients, parents, friends, whatever. What will they think? Will they be cross with me? Will they think I'm enough? Will they think I'm good enough? Will they think I'm doing a good job? Will they think I'm worthy of the fee? And it becomes this huge weight that we carry thinking that as long as we continue to be perfect and we continue to over-deliver and we continue to go above and beyond, that this will protect us from anybody feeling or thinking anything bad of us, when in fact, it's actually, it's keeping us trapped. It's incredibly heavy because there is no such thing as perfection. It is a completely unattainable goal. Again, it's more about perception. We want to be perceived as perfect. And again, there is no way of, there's no way of achieving this. It's unattainable. We cannot control perception. We cannot control what our clients think or feel of us, regardless of how much time and energy we spend tr trying to do so. But it's addictive. This is why it's this really sneaky trap, because when we invariably do experience feelings of shame or judgment or blame, and as interior designers, we can be on the receiving end of this. I've spoken to several of you over the course of our time together about, about clients who have flown off the handle, behaved badly, you've not done this, I'm upset about that, very blamey, and it can feel very, very uncomfortable to be on the receiving end of that. But what it does is we we take it on ourselves and we believe that it's because we weren't perfect enough. So rather than questioning who they are, what they're going through, what has happened in their life that has caused them to fly off the handle and blame somebody else for something that, you know, is just very normal in the course of a building project, we become entrenched in that, that quest to do everything just right, to do everything perfectly. So that gives you a bit of a background on 
and I hope some perspective on where perfectionism comes from. And I really want you to be discerning and think, am I being a perfectionist in this? Is it that I am worrying about what others are going to think? Is it that I'm trying to avoid somebody blaming me, shouting at me, thinking I'm not good enough? And what I would, if this comes up for you as, yes, that's what I'm trying to avoid, that's what this is about, this is what's at the root of it, then I would just ask yourself, next time around, how can I do things differently? How can I deliver my service in a way that signals higher self-worth? I'm going to sit with, say that again, because I want you to sit with this question. How can I do things differently this time around? How can I deliver my service in a way that signals higher self-worth? So I want you to, to reflect on that. However, I also want you just to consider the extent to which you are who you are. Your service is the way it is. It is a considered, thoughtful, exceptionally good service because of who you are, the training you've had, the way you like to look after people. And not everybody will hold such high standards and not everyone will appreciate or be able to afford such high standards. But for the ones who do and the ones who can, it will be the most wonderful experience and the most magical transformation of their space. So I do just also want you to think what may free you a bit more from this is honoring your creative process. If your creative process really is just going above and beyond, and if it's genuinely rooted in how can I bring the best to this space? How can I make this project the best? Then that to me signals really more of a need for a shift in the business model. So this is about serving fewer clients exceptionally well. And your positioning and your marketing becomes all about this is an extremely high quality bespoke considered thoughtful service you'll find the words that that fit your vibe and your clients but it is not for everybody not everybody wants this this detail this thoughtfulness so consider those two places if you're coming from a place of i want to avoid discomfort and i'm worried what people think of me there's work to do on perfectionism but i also want you to just honor your process and think there's nothing wrong with us having a service and delivering a service in a way that is exceptional, as long as we're doing so in a way that feels freeing for us and the pricing works. So to do this kind of service, to make this work, it requires taking on fewer clients, potentially, certainly having the support in place. So one or two maybe more team members who can support you with this amount of detail and delivery, and you are leading the thing and the pricing has to work for that. So I will I will leave you to think on those things. Um, I hope that helped. Okay, let me go to a question which, I will be honest, I'm not totally clear what the question is, so I'll do my best. Um, reminder, be super, super clear on what your questions are. I'm gonna read out what I've got and I'm gonna tell you what I'm taking from it and we'll go from there. So question is, I was asked to curate artworks for an office lobby. It was all done in a bit of a hurry. I did a fair amount of work. I've narrowed down, I've drawn up visuals to show the different options and then decided to halt things as the wall color and the finish was still being debated. I explained to the client I would wait until the wall finish was confirmed and then I signed off. It appears that the client's mother actually had the final say, major red flag alert. Um, and now the mother seems to have taken over with the design agency working on the main design and amending the finishes. I had the foresight to charge a 15% deposit of the overall estimated project cost as a one-off payment to be refunded on completion of the artworks installation. Judging by how things are going, I wouldn't be surprised if my scope is reduced 
Mother's not happy with what the son has done. I can't think through the best way to approach this if the final artworks are not installed. Okay. What is the question? <laughs> I'm going to give you some thoughts on this. I don't actually know what the question is, but I'm going to give you some, some thoughts. To me, there's a couple of things that jump out for me in this. One is that potentially you're dealing with a client who is not the ultimate decision maker. So there needs to be a conversation with whoever is making decisions. And I think that can, you know, we can get entrenched in this. And this is the second thing that leaps out for me is this assumption of intent. So I wouldn't be surprised if my scope is reduced. I wouldn't be surprised if it all falls through. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe I don't get the money for the project. We don't know any of this. And we can get into, especially if we've been scarred on projects before, or we've seen clients be flaky, or people have changed their mind, whatever it is. If these things have happened, we can take it as this is what's going to happen every time forever going forward. We cannot assume intent. We don't know. We just do not know what's going on in that client's brain, in their lives, with the project. So we really need to zoom out and get some perspective and be breezy about it. And I think for me, it's just a simple case of saying, hey, I'd like to have a conversation about the way forward with this. You know, simple is breezy and and every and anyone who's involved in the decision making needs to be there. So it's client plus mother or it's only mother, whoever is running the show, whoever's signing off the work and it's keeping it really light. And it's instead of going in with this assumption that what I've done is wrong or they're not happy and it's all going to be it's all going to fall apart. And then there's going to be a difficult conversation about money right now. It's just assume a position of curiosity, assume the position of being the learner. I'm just trying to understand what we want to do going forward. I'm just trying to understand our brief going forward. And you can just reiterate, you know, you came to us with the brief. The brief was create these artworks. We're, we want to get something that works brilliantly for you. I'm just trying to understand the next steps and how best we move forward. Can we have a conversation about that? So. Really, what seems to me is that it it sounds like there needs to be a, a conversation and take some of the things that I gave in the earlier response about just showing up really confidently instead of language that's around, oh, I think this and I feel that it's, you know, I would prefer if we did this going forward. You know, I predict that this wool finish is not going to be right. Experience has told us that. You know, just you are the expert. You have got an opinion. You've been brought in for your expertise and your opinion. And there is absolutely a way of stating that and showing up confidently. And, you know, if it comes to the money, I'm not clear enough on the position around the money. But, you know, a deposit is a deposit to me. You know, if you they paid a deposit and you've done work, then that deposit is non-refundable. But again, we cover a load of stuff inside my new money pricing program all about stuff to do with taking payments, deposits, making sure you get paid, how that all links up with your T&Cs. As long as you're clearly spelling it out, then you're covered. But a deposit to me, it's about protecting your business and protecting your work. So let's, let's zoom out a bit on this. Let's not assume any intent and let's aim. I would say that the best way to approach is a breezy, cool, calm, self-assured conversation with whoever's making decisions. Okay, I think we've got time for a couple more questions. I'm going to do my best to get through everything we've got. So the next question I've got is, I've got the opportunity to do a commercial project with a friend that I have been in discussion with to work together on commercial projects that we can do together. She has had one that has come her way that we're looking at. The client is a bit all over the place with ideas and styles and direction. It's, there's already a few red flags fluttering. But before we get to the 
qualifying stage, I'm considering how we will charge for this. I have 10 years more experience in the industry. My friend is newly qualified. She doesn't have much confidence around charging. She had said she could come and work with me and was imagining this would be done on a freelance day rate. At this point, it's her project, which we're going to work on together. But how do we even approach the charging between us, even the principle of it? So let me give you an answer, which is to an extent based on my own experience. So this is more of a kind of mentoring answer than, than a coaching answer. But what I will say is this. I have I worked a long time with a exceptional designer who became a business partner and we both no longer now being business partners acknowledged and agreed that we were way way better as collaborators than formally business partners and, and there's a lot of reasons for that but the reason I'm sharing this is because while you this sounds like it's at the stage where it's very much just testing the water of something that could work my advice to you is keep it loose keep it light see how things work you can absolutely collaborate but you really want to understand the dynamic and how things could work before you formalize it anymore so i also think because you're my client and not your friend but because you're my client, I would absolutely be advising you that you need to protect yourself, your experience, your expertise, your pricing, what's going to work for you. She's coming from a very different position. She's just qualified. She's really keen to get some business and opportunities come her way. So I would really be thinking about how this is going to serve the client ultimately, but also how it's going to serve you. The money has to work for you so and I'm not saying this is what's happening but if you've got a situation where she's saying I would just do it for nothing I'm just so keen to get the experience well that's probably not going to work for you and equally you may just say look I'm happy to consult on this project but here's my fee to do so another way of doing it is that it becomes your project and she freelances for you like yes the inquiry came from her but again, it's what's best for the client. And if having someone with 10 years experience delivering their project is going to get a better outcome for them, then you run it that way. She gets the benefit of learning a huge amount from you. She front freelances, you pay her for a fee, but then you ultimately have to take the decision on how you're going to price it. You, It has to be priced. If the, the project's going to run through your business, it has to be priced in a way that works for you and your business. So... I hope that's helpful. Let us know how that goes. I'm keen to hear how that one develops. But I think I've got to most of the questions. There's one more. I'm going to go for it. <laughs> I've actually, I don't know what we're at time-wise, but I'm just going to answer this in the, the time. And this is the last question. So I often find there's one half of a couple who is very open to all the input and the changes of perspective. I may bring and another one is more resistant in this case the resistant party is the one managing the project I think I'm winning them over it sometimes takes time for the benefits of new layouts to sink in but I'm interested to know how far others push against the delicate balance of wanting to get what we feel are the best results for a project and keeping a client on side so again we want to come back to really powerfully positioning ourselves from the start. We don't want to be in the mindset of we have to keep the client on side because what I hear comes after that is because otherwise they might not pay me or because otherwise they'll tell everyone we're no good or because otherwise they'll shout at me. You know, there's a kind of scares, <coughs> excuse me, there's a scarce worry and a doubt and a fear that follows on from that. So we want to get what we feel are the best results for a project. And we want to maintain our position as expert in the relationship. And I would say that this comes back to positioning yourself really confidently from the start, being super clear with clients about the process. And in the case of having a couple, 
being really open about the challenges that this can mean. I would be very, very open and transparent and say, in our experience of working with couples, you can phrase it exactly how you've given it to me. In my experience of working with couples, I find there's often one half who is very open and the other half may be feeling less certain. You can soften the language, but you know, if this is the case, then I want to reassure you this is very normal. And what our job as the designer is, is to work through this with you. So every time we present something to you, I'd like to build in time so it can be really discursive. What I will also do is send you the presentation afterwards so that you can reflect and think and you can come back to me with your considered changes, any questions and so on. But you're you're going in there up front. You're saying, look, this can happen. You're human. I get that I'm working with people here. We're not robots. You're not the same person. You are two people in a in a couple, in a relationship. You're not going to think the same thoughts and you're not going to move at the same pace. So I think just acknowledging that up front is going to really help them to normalize it and again establish your confidence and your certainty and your power as the expert and the person who is leading your clients not just trying to keep them on side i think in everything you present you can come back and remind them i want to you know our our goal is to get the best result for the project remind them of their brief keep bringing them back to what their goals were at the beginning, what they wanted. This is why it's it's so important to spend that time at the beginning really understanding what are your goals? What do you desire? Get them to write it down because that's what you, you can continue to bring them back to. You, know, you, you, you said the reason we're proposing this is because you said you wanted something that felt more open plan. You know, and they may have forgotten that and it'd be feeling scary because now you're knocking walls down. But you can remind them, this is what you said you wanted. This is why we're doing this. This is why what we are proposing, this is how this meets your needs. Okay. So I will leave it there. I really hope that this episode has served you. It served me. It's been super fun. Um, I really look forward to getting your questions. If, as I say, anybody is feeling that they would like quicker answers, more proximity, a higher level of support, then send me a DM on Instagram and we can have a chat about one-on-one boxer coaching. And I will absolutely be in touch with you guys about the new money and pricing program that I'm launching. I am super, super excited for this. It is next level money mastery. So I'm really excited to share more with you. Have a great month.